This is a reading from Mark, chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they were all said the same. Okay, and then Mark chapter 18, Peter denies Jesus. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 12. After this, Jesus was revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. left my Britney Spears mic at home, unfortunately. But uh, if you guys can survive the poisonous water right now, I think I can survive without my Britney Spears mic. Good job, by the way. Way to be survivors. Proud of all of you here tonight. Nice work. Um, Like I said, my name's John. Really glad to have y'all here. Um, 
Welcome to RUF. This is a place where uh, we believe that the good news of the gospel is that there's nobody who can be good enough to be beyond the need of God's grace, which kind of sounds like bad news. But also, we believe that there's no one who can be bad enough to be beyond the reach of God's grace. And so that means that all of us need God's grace, and we all gather together, and we look at God's word to consider what he has to say to people who need grace. And one way we've been doing that this semester is we've been looking through the eyes of this man named Simon Peter. And one of the reasons I wanted to look at Peter with you guys and do this sermon series kind of on his life and his, what's called Jesus Through the Eyes of Peter, is Peter's just such a relatable person. The more that I've studied him, and I hope hopefully if you've been here a couple weeks, like the more that you've seen kind of who this guy is, I hope that you can see how we can kind of relate to him. Like he's just someone who's kind of doesn't have it figured out. He gets scared a lot. He fails a lot. And yet Jesus kind of chooses Peter as this guy through whom he's going to do all kinds of amazing work and that he's going to display an abundance of love and grace to. Not because of how good Peter's been, because what, he, what Peter constantly demonstrates is that he's not that good. But what we see through the way that Jesus relates to him is how truly great Jesus Christ is. And that's what I want you to see tonight, especially tonight. This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. I think it's just so beautiful the way that this story is told. And so uh, I just challenge you to really really try to listen to what we, have, what we see in the way that God is revealing how he deals with failures tonight. Because this is, this is the biggest failure in Peter's life that we're going to look at. And I want you to see how Jesus deals with him, how he deals with failures. Before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. We love you and we thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you know, like, you know how when you get scared sometimes, you just do ridiculous things? I have an example of that that I would not like to share with you. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but I think most of you have not. When I was in like the third grade, I went over to my friend's house because I got invited over for a sleepover. Just like the best news ever when you're in third grade, and I was so excited. And I went over to my friend Alan's house, and uh, his name was Alan Houston, and he lived in this cool house, cool parents. They were going out that night, so they were going to leave us alone for a little while. And we were really excited about it. Maybe I, was, I wasn't in third grade. I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. And I wish I was in third grade because I would feel less bad about telling this story. Um, so they get us set up, popcorn, movie. They made a fire in the fireplace for us. Pretty excited about that. Kind of like throwing stuff in the fire a little bit here and there, watching the movie. Um, and as the movie is ending... The fire is dying down. His parents aren't back yet. And we kind of were enjoying the roaring fire. And so <laughs> we go in his backyard and we find the biggest log that we can find naturally. And we kind of like carry it in, you know, like little third grade muscles. And <clears throat> I removed the screen all the way from the fireplace. And Dallin just kind of, he just can't carry, he carries this 
huge log across his mother's beautiful carpet. And he just kind of, one, two, three, whoof, hoists it onto the fire of, it's not really a fire, it's really a bed of hot coals. And I don't know if you've seen what happens if you throw something that's kind of weighty on top of a bed of hot coals. But what happened at the Houston's house is there was almost like an explosion. It just, <laughs> and all of these Tiny little red hot coals that had been in the fireplace are now spewed and scattered all over Miss Houston's beautiful white carpet. And they're just burning into the carpet. And at about this point is when I lost my mind and completely panicked because I'm not handy. I don't know what to do in these kind of situations. There's a reason I'm a pastor and not a surgeon. And there's a lot of reasons I'm a pastor and not a surgeon. But anyway, I, I like freak out. And I'm like, we got to get this cleaned up. We got And so every time in my life at this point, whenever I clean something up, it's with paper towels. So I run into the kitchen, grab a big thing of paper towels, wrap my hand in the paper towel, like bend down to pick up the coal. And I'm like, ah, you know, it just burns my hand. And luckily, my friend Alan was like a rational human being and had put on his dad's leather gloves and was just walking around picking them up and, you know, just throwing the hot coals into the fire. And he rescued us and saved the house from burning down. But the problem still remained that now this beautiful new white carpet that Miss Houston had was covered in black pockmarks that were in in the house smelled like it had been set on fire. And... We were left there to just wait. And man, you know that feeling when you, like, it's kind of unavoidable. Like, you're just, you're going to get it. And it's just happening. And man, I, I was terrified. when Because I, I, I was a little scared of, of both of his parents, mainly his dad. And I was so scared to show them that. And they were not happy with us and kind of freaked out. And I think... That feeling in your gut where you kind of know that they're, like the hammer's going to drop and you've done something really wrong, I think that's the feeling that, that we have a lot of times when we think about how God relates to us. And I can't help but think that Peter must have felt like that in the middle of the story that we're looking at tonight. Because what we see in, in Mark 14, the first passage that Pete read for us, is this promise that Peter makes. Jesus looks at these guys. He, they've just been around the Lord's Supper. He's just instituted the Lord's Supper. And he looks at all of these guys. He's about to go in, in to the cross. And he looks at them and he says, you guys are all going to fall away from me. Every, every last one of you. You're going to all fall away. And Peter kind of just like steps up and he says, you know what? I don't know about these guys, but I'll never do that. Ever. And Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, you know what, man? Not only are, are you going to fall away, but before the rooster even crows this morning, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter then comes back and he says, no, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than do that. And he kind of makes this big promise to Jesus. And I think we do this too. 
we make promises to God or commitments to things that we think we're going to do. I mean, and if you're anything like I was when I was in college, it typically, this is the, see, the cycle that you're maybe in right now. If you're like me, or like you, you showed up, it was August, you had a clean slate again. I'm not going to, like, this, this one's going to be different. This semester, I'm going to be on my A game. I've got all my quiet times planned out. I know when I'm, which Bible study or studies I'm going to do. All these different things. That, and, and then, you know, the, the, the magic that is syllabus season ends. And uh, y'all know that's magical, right? It's amazing. Anyway, that ends. And things get stressful. And you need to blow off steam. And you kind of start messing up with stuff. And you kind of start forgetting things that you had committed. And all these promises that you had made to God and to yourself, they just end up, you just like fall flat on your face. And some of us are like Peter in our self-righteousness. God, you can count on me. I, all of, you know, all my friends might look like this and might do these things. On the weekend, I will be different. I would rather die than do those things, Peter might say. Or now I'm really going to start studying regularly. I'm really going to start applying myself. I'm really going to start glorifying you. And my question for you is what do you think of yourself when you don't do that? Like when you mess up. And additionally, what do you think God thinks of you when that happens? Because the reality for Christians is that all of us, all of us fail God. A Christian is someone who fails their God. We fail him. Peter, this guy that Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm, the th- uh, on you, I'm gonna build my church. One of his like inner three disciples, kind of the spokesperson for the disciples. Biggest failure. That's what Christians are. We fail them. Let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's more. <laughs> John 18, we see the scene of the failure. John 18, and there's all these interesting like threads that John is kind of like leaves out dangling that he's about to tie together. Thread one is them at the table with Jesus and leaving and and him saying, you're all going to run away from me. And Peter saying, I'll never do that. Thread two starts here at this charcoal fire. Peter kind of creeps up to see what's going on. He sees Jesus in the high priest. He's about to go through this ridiculous trial where he's going to be accused of things that are absurd. And Peter is kind of standing on the outside looking in, and all these people are gathered around this charcoal fire, and he's just standing there getting warm, trying to listen in on what's going on. And here's the funny thing. Peter has just made this bold promise. I'd rather die. I'd rather die than deny you and run away from you. And then he gets the easiest test. Do you see who the first person is? The first, the first test he gets is the easiest one. It's a little girl, a little servant girl, the most powerless person in that culture, the least threatening, the one with the least amount of authority to convict or do anything to Peter. A servant girl comes up and she says, aren't you one of the disciples? And this is how, Peter, how scared Peter is. This is how unfaithful he is. Because he lies to her because he's afraid. And this, again, is what it feels like. 
We make promises to God, I'm not going to act out in anger. Or I'm going to start doing things right. And then the smallest test happens. Someone cuts you off when you're on the road. And all those promises about not acting in anger suddenly just go to the wayside and you become a lunatic on the, on the streets. <laughs> Y'all probably can't relate to that. I'm just, maybe that's just me. Anyway, we make promises. I'm not going to mess up with that struggle. And in the first chance, we do it again. And that's what happens with Peter. But he doesn't just do that. He denies Jesus three times. And, in, and Mark gives us an interesting detail in this. And Mark said this before, but Mark is most likely Peter's personal account of the Gospels. Mark was this young guy who um, most scholars believe was dictating things that Peter was telling him and, and wrote the book of Mark. So it's called Mark because Mark wrote it, but it's really from Peter's kind of eyewitness account. And, so, and because of that, you get all these little like juicy details about Peter in the book of Mark. And uh, one of the things that you find out in the book of Mark is that when, uh, when, when the third person asks him, like, wait, no, you're a disciple. I think I've seen you before that he begins cursing. And, and the Greek is, is ambiguous about who he's cursing, but a lot of the commentators that I've read, they think, if you kind of think about it logically, like who is he cursing in order to deny it? It's, it's probably not the person who's asking him, hey, wait, aren't you one of the disciples? Because he doesn't want to get that person angry. He's clearly acting in fear. The person that he's probably cursing is Jesus. If you really wanted someone to believe that you weren't a disciple, what, like, who do you direct your curses to? Jesus. And Peter starts raining down curses on the one that he, just, just a few hours ago, he said, I'll never, I'll never turn my back on you, ever. And now he's cursing. And what I want you to see is the Bible is unabashedly presenting Peter as an enormous failure. And now you've got to see this. You've got to see how Jesus responds to him. How does Jesus respond to, like, one of his best friends who has disowned him when he needed him most, when he was so afraid? How does Jesus respond? He goes to the cross for him. For people who fail, for Peter who's failed, Jesus goes to the cross and he pays for Peter's failure. He pays for Peter's sin. He pays for Peter's betrayal. And what he does is he loves Peter unconditionally. And I'm, I'm growing, growing more convinced. The more I like think about my own story and the more I hear your stories, we don't, really, we don't really know what unconditional love is. Like, can I give you an example of what I mean by that? Um, just from listening to people and even thinking about my own life in this past year, you know something I see that I do, and I bet some of y'all can relate to this. I tell little white lies, like all the time. Example: Someone will be like, "Hey, do you remember that episode from Scrubs 
And they start talking about it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was so hilarious. I've never watched Scrubs in my life. Like, I don't even, I, don't, I couldn't name one character. And then they're like, wait, what was your favorite part? And I'm like, nah, I can't remember. They all blend together. You know, now I'm just, like, stacking on the lies. Or when someone's like, oh, my gosh, did you hear that band is coming into town? Aren't they so good? And you're like, yeah, they're amazing. I love them. I have no idea who that is. Why do we do that? Because we don't believe unconditional love is true. Because we're constantly managing our image. We manage our image because we think that if we don't manage it, that we, we won't be lovable. It's why when your parents call you and ask you how your grades are going, you kick into image management mode. Or they ask you, have you gotten a Texas OU date yet? Or they ask you, have you done that interview yet? Why do we go into image management mode? Because we don't think we're lovable. Someone really sees us. We don't, we don't, we kind of don't even know what unconditional love is. And here's this guy, Peter, who has absolutely failed. And I want you to listen to this. This is so beautiful. At the end of Mark 16, when the women go to the tomb and they see this angel there, and the angel tells them, like, Jesus is risen. Listen to what happens. Again, Mark, so we're getting some juicy Peter details, okay? The angel said to them, they're standing at the empty tomb. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He was risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see what they, the angel does there? The angel who's the messenger of God he's sent to, to deliver this message. Looks at this, these women and says, I've got a message for you. Go and tell the disciples that Jesus is still, he's, he's going to go and meet you in Galilee, just like he said he would. He said that he was going to meet you in Galilee, that you would all be, you remember the passage, we just read it in Mark 14. He said, we'll all be scattered, but I'll see you in Galilee. Now, this angel shows up, and she tells the woman, go and deliver this message. And when you deliver the message, please make sure that Peter knows he's still invited. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Because Peter has got to, Peter does not, he's not going to believe it. He, if I just say go and tell the disciples, Peter's going to think I'm just not one of them now. He's the biggest failure. Go tell the disciples and please make sure Peter knows that he is still invited. Even though he has failed me in a massive way. And so the last passage we read, John 21, is what happens when they go to Galilee. They go, and the, it's funny. Do you remember? Do you remember how, uh, like, what Peter was doing before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, "Hey, like, I know, you, I know you've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything, but just go out there and like cast your net on the other side and like of the boat, and you'll catch fish." And they catch like more fish than they can haul in. Gee, that sounds familiar to what we just read. And Peter, they get back to Galilee, and Peter's like. I'm going fishing. 
And they're like, okay, we'll go with you. And they fish all night. They don't catch anything. And it's really interesting. The place where they are, I actually got to go um, to Israel like, uh, like 10 years ago. And when you go to Israel, you find out that there's all these places where like scholars think that multiple things happened. And there's two things that people think happened at this place called Tabgah. One is that it's the place where Jesus fed 5,000 people fish and bread. Um, in the, during the same festival, Passover, in which Jesus looks at his disciples and says later, a couple, we, a couple years later, at another Passover, and he says, you're all going to run away from me and flee. And Peter's like, no, I won't. That's what we just read. But a couple years before that, at, during a different Passover feast, all these people gather in Tabgah next to the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus feeds them miraculously, 5,000 people with fish and bread. This is so interesting. The second time we see Tabgah in the Bible is this story right here. Another thread we're about to weave together. It's amazing. They go back to Galilee, and they're back in the place where, like, have you ever been? Maybe, maybe you've been to a place where, like, something amazing happens, and you just kind of, this is, why you, this is why, by the way, when you're a freshman, you like going back to your high school and being a high school hero for a little bit. Maybe you did it. Maybe some of you are like, I did not want to go back to my high school. But some of you, you just like go back and walk the halls and you bask in the glory of like what once happened in that day. I see like a lot of big head nods in the back row there. Way to go, guys. Um, <laughs> but like we do this because there's like places bring back memories. And now these disciples are back at the place where Jesus has fed 5,000 people fish and bread, and they've got to be thinking, like, man, do you remember what it was like when that happened? But could it be true that he really is risen? Because it says, the Bible tells us that they were constantly doubting whether or not that really had happened. And then Jesus shows up, and he says, children, y'all not count anything yet? And like, No. Like, just cast your nets on the other side. Okay, cast it on the other side. Boom, there's all the fish again. And clicks in Peter's mind. Oh, my goodness. And then Peter becomes kind of like a crazy person. Says he put, puts on his robe and then jumps in the water. Okay, interesting choice. And he swims up to shore. And did you notice what's there at the shore when he gets there? It's another charcoal fire. And this is very intentional. There's only two places in the entire New Testament where the Greek word, or in the entire Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where the word, specific word for charcoal fire is used. Only two times. Time number one, John 18, Peter sitting by a charcoal fire denying Jesus. Number two, here. He's gotten the invitation to come back. And now he's walking up, and he's walking up. Here's the thing. He's walking up to the place where he has most failed Jesus. He's walking up to the place where he's most ashamed. And you know what Jesus is doing to it? He's making breakfast on it. And it's the same meal. It's the same meal he fed Peter those years before, it's fish and bread. And what Jesus is saying is, look, here's the place where you fail me, but guess what? The meal hasn't changed. I have the same meal for you. When I would go over to the Houston's house 
and spend the night. They actually invited me back. Shocker. I know. I can't believe it. Um, Miss Houston would bring us into, before her parent, his parents would leave us at home, Miss Houston would bring us into the living room. <laughs> and she would say, boys, I want, you, I want to show you something. We'd walk in there. And she had this new beautiful oriental rug that she had put over her beautiful white carpet. And before they would leave, they would thump, 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 roll the carpet back. And all those black pock marks were right there. And <laughs> Mr. Houston would be like, boys, you see this? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to see anything like this when I get home. Okay. And sometimes I think that that's what God's like with my son. Hey, John, you know how you, like, really failed me? Come here, I want to show you something. Thump, 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 thump. You see that? Look at that. That's not what, that's not what he does. The, the, the Bible tells us that he removes our sin as far as from the east is from the west. That what, what he actually does is he goes to the cross and pays for it so that it's finished. It's over. It's done. Jesus has paid for it. That sin, those pockmarks, they're gone. And you are clean, like we talked about last week. And so he doesn't come to you to the place of your shame and accuse you over and over again. What he does is he meets you in that place, just like he does with Peter. And he offers you the same meal. He offers you his grace. And so what I want you to do is I want you to imagine the place in your life where you would be most ashamed to meet Jesus. Like the physical time and place where you would be most ashamed to meet him. And what God is showing us here is that that's actually the place where he wants to meet. That's the place where he wants to meet you and begin displaying his infinite grace for sinners. Y'all, this is real. There's a reason that we get this story in the Bible because the God who made you wants you to see how big his grace is for sinners. And so he meets Peter there. And the reality is that Jesus can meet you in the same kind of place. He can, he can meet you in your pornography addiction. He can meet you in the ways that maybe you have hated yourself or hurt yourself. He can meet you in the places where you feel like you have failed him or others. He wants to meet you there. And so what it looks like practically to meet Jesus at your charcoal fire, a couple things. First, what happens with Peter, the, when Peter meets with Jesus at this fire and he's reminded and shown like the meal hasn't changed, he does it in community. All the disciples are there with him. He does it with his people around him. And my question to you is, like one, one of the ways that, God has given us to actually experience and be reminded of his grace for sinners is that he's given us each other. He's given us each other who are, by the way, we're all, we're all sinners. We all need him. He's given us each other so that we can conf- not only confess and welcome God into our sin and shame, but we can welcome each other into it. And that's one way that we experience God coming into it is by welcoming 
welcoming fellow believers into the church. And the reason you can do that is because anyone who's a Christian also is someone who acknowledges, yeah, I'm totally messed up. I'm not better than you. And if you know, and if you know, you definitely know Christians who are super proud and self-righteous. I can be that sometimes. That's not what a Christian is. Christian is someone who calls out for help in our shame. And because of that, we can be with each other in each other's. And if God is this kind of failure, you know what else this means? It means that you don't have to manage your image anymore. Whoa. Like, that would be, that would be kind of nice. That would be kind of peaceful. Does not have to manage your image anymore. Because, like, God has already come to you and displayed unconditional love to you through the work of Jesus on your behalf. And it's applied to you by faith alone and given to you freely because he paid for it. And so my question to you is, do you know this kind of freedom? Do you know this kind of God? And if you don't, like, come to him. Come to your charcoal fire, and he'll meet you there. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting at the very place that you would never imagine. Because, here's the kicker, he loves you. But the Bible claims. And if this is true, you don't believe this yet. Thinking about it. If this is true, this changes everything. You need, to, you need to think about this. If you do believe this, I hope that you'll walk out of the doors in this gray, gloomy day, night. We're going to have a beautiful morning tomorrow. Can't wait. But I hope you walk out of these doors this kind of gloomy night and know that you're loved. Not because of what you have done. Not because of the image that you have managed. Because of the work of Jesus who meets you, and for whom the invitation doesn't go away to you, and for whom the meal doesn't change. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are this gracious, that you have revealed yourself to be that way through your son Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to believe that. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.